0: Well, good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Nat Evans. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, It's an exciting season, and there's a few things I wanted to update you on or make sure that you are aware of. Um, First off, two really exciting announcements. Number one, we are really excited to announce that uh, we have made some additions to our leadership team. Uh, and so we have two new members on there, uh, and so now joining us on the team is Lisa Kao and Yomi Ojulayo. And so we are incredibly excited to have them. Actually, this past week, we uh, or just the week before, we had our first team meeting with them joining us. We met via, uh, via Zoom and uh, they're just fitting in and it's just incredible. So really excited for this team as we lead together and for them to be joining us. And so I want to encourage us as a community to be making sure we are praying for our leadership team and to be praying for Yomi and for Lisa. Also, I am incredibly excited to announce that, uh, that, well, actually, first let me say this. We have been on a search for a new uh, youth and young adults pastor to oversee our youth and young adults ministries here at Forest View, and we, uh, we've been searching. There have been some incredible applicants that have applied over the course of, of this, uh, but uh, we are really excited because we have found the right person, uh, and we found, uh, and so our new youth and young adults pastor, her name is... Um, Elisa Ward, and we are so excited for her to be coming on board. Uh, and so she is going to be starting with us in January. Uh, Elisa is uh, there, uh, her and her husband, they have two daughters, Gracie and Hayden, and they have been a part of the Forest View community here for the past three years. And uh, we're just so excited to see Elisa come in and uh, to take her passion for God and for discipleship and for seeing young people uh, be, become alive in their relationship with God. And so we are excited for her. She's going to be starting with us in January, uh, January 4th, I think is her official first day. But we're excited because uh, she's going to be taking on this role. And so please, want to encourage you to be praying for her during this season of transition. And uh, yeah, we could not be more excited. Well, this morning, we are continuing our Advent series simply called Advent Mixtape and we've been journeying through the different songs that are written throughout the narrative uh, the the infancy narrative or the the birth narrative of Jesus that we find in the gospel of Luke just like in music theater there are these moments where it's just the best way to communicate what's really going on is with a song and so throughout Luke's story he draws us to four different songs and so two weeks ago we started with Mary's song the Magnificat last week we looked at Zachariah's song and this week we're actually going a little bit out of order if you've been tracking with us chronologically the next song would be the angel song but we decide we're going to push that back we're going to save that for our Christmas Sunday and instead this week we're going to be looking at Simeon's song. Now, often when we think about songs, when it comes to the music of Christmas, we often think about sentimental songs. But the the interesting thing is that if you go through and read these songs in their original context, you discover that these are radical, subversive songs that are singing about a different kingdom. Think less Bing Crosby and Mariah Carey. Think more Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy. These are incredibly underground, like the songs of an uprising. And they're songs that direct us towards Jesus. And so as we dive into this text this morning, I want to invite you to begin in a place of prayer with me. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our paths. And so we pray as we dive into this song this morning, as it speaks to us, I pray that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open to responding. Would your spirit guide us into your truth this morning? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, before we dive into our text, I want to start with this. Have you ever seen something that you cannot unsee? Uh, the other day, I was actually doing a Google search for this and came across a couple different images that, for me, really, uh, they're, they're just things that I think are incredibly funny and you just can't unsee them. Uh, It's one of those things where you see it one way and you're like, I'm always going to look at this and see this from now on. The first one is the KFC logo. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you've seen it before, probably driving by a KFC restaurant or ordering it. And, uh, you know, you have the face of the colonel. And then someone pointed out, thank you, internet, that it looks like there is a giant head on a little body And now whenever I drive by KFC and I see the logo, I can't help but think that's a giant head on a little body. All right, there's one. Number two, I'm a basketball fan, and so there's a logo for the team, the Chicago Bulls. They have a giant bull's head. Someone has flipped the image around, and when you look at it upside down, it looks like a strange robot reading a book. And now whenever I look at the Bulls logo, I can't help but think there is a robot reading a book. Some of you are like, I still don't see it. Where is it? So go to the next slide. We have, there, there's someone who has done a little bit more of a Photoshop job on it. Uh, the next one is, is Tom Cruise. And, and the internet has pointed out, they've gone to great lengths to point out the fact that he has a tooth directly in the center of his face. And whenever I watch a Mission Impossible movie now, I'm no longer just thinking about the incredible stunts that are happening or the exciting action sequences of the suspense. I'm thinking, look at that guy's tooth. Um, that's what's going on for me anyways. And then, uh, and then finally, this one's my favorite. This is uh, just a typical logo for a wastebasket. Um, and, you, know, you put your garbage in the garbage can. But when I see it now, uh, someone, thank you internet, pointed out that uh, it just looks like a juggler giving up on their dream, Um, which to me, I just get sad every time I walk by a garbage can. It's like, no, hold on, buddy. Just wait a little bit longer. Sometimes you see something and you can't unsee it. I remember having a conversation with a friend, and uh, he had worked in the restaurant business for a number of years, and we were going to go out for dinner, and I was like, hey, do you want to go to this place? He says, no, no, I, I can't go there. Uh, and I was like, oh, what's what's going on? He's like, you know, I've just, I've been in the industry, I actually know people who work there, I've seen things that I can't unsee. He was referring to things that were happening behind the closed doors, the way they were treating the flu, the fluid, some of the cleanliness issues. And I remember just being, oh, yeah, that kind of changes everything. He's like, no matter how nice the new dining hall in that restaurant might look, when you know what's happened behind the scenes, you see it differently. But, but sometimes you can see something in a different way, you can't unsee it and it can actually be a good thing. I remember sitting down and uh, watching a rugby game with a friend of mine. I know nothing about rugby to me. It just looks like chaos. It looks like 300 pound muscle bound men smashing into each other, uh, trying to end one another's lives. Like it just looks chaotic. And I remember sitting there watching it and kind of being like, what is the appeal of this? And my friend who is a huge rugby fan, played a number of years was like, no, no, let me explain it to you. Let me break it down what is happening here. Uh, and he began to describe, understand, help me understand the rules a little bit better, but even more so the strategy, the approach that the different teams were taking. And so what I had always seen is just this mess of violence and mud. I suddenly start to see in a different way. In fact, I've actually found that one of my favorite things to do is just to talk to people about things that they are fascinated by or incredibly interested in. Because almost Always, when you find someone who is passionate or intrigued by something, it becomes a whole lot more interesting to you as you learn about the details and how it works and why certain things are significant. There are things that you cannot unsee. This morning, I want to talk about seeing and not seeing. Uh, because that's what our song is ultimately about. It is a theme that comes up again and again. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be starting at chapter 25. Now, a few things. We're, again, like I said, we're doing this a little bit out of order. We're going to be doing the angel's announcement next week. This week, we, this is taking place after Jesus was born. And Jesus is being brought to the temple. And so this is about the experience of Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple as an infant to be dedicated to God, which was the custom for the Jewish people. Here's what it says, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. a light for revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people Israel so immediately we have Simeon he's a righteous devout man he is he is a person who god has been working and stirring and speaking to and he has been told he needs to go to the temple because he, it is there he is going to see the messiah because that's who Simeon has been waiting for. If you look at the words that it used uh, used in the early part of that passage before it talks about the song, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. Now, what do those two things have to do with Jesus? Well, first off, and why is this something that Simeon is waiting for? Well, first off, we need to know that when we say the word consolation, often when we use that word, we're thinking of in the context of a consolation being like a, a participation ribbon. It's like the uh, it's the thing that you get when you didn't really get what you wanted, but it's like, oh, well, here's this. it's it'll kind of like help make up for it. But that is not how this word is being used here. This is instead being understood as God coming to the aid of his people. Israel. It's God coming to help, and God is going to come and help through his Messiah. Now, what, in what way does Israel need help? Well, it's helpful to understand, to first go back and understand what was Israel's true calling in the world. Israel was given, it was God made a covenant with a man named Abraham, uh, and, and essentially said that Israel was to be his people in the world, and that through them they would be a light to all other nations and that through them, the whole world would be blessed. Their calling, their, their vocation, their reason for being was to show the world what God is like. To, to reveal to the world the things that God cares about and, and to care the way that God cares. They were to show the world what it truly means to be human. However, there was a struggle for Israel. And the struggle was that they kept looking to other nations for how they were to truly live. And so they would look at them and they'd say God had given them this distinct calling. They'd made them to be a certain kind of people. And yet they found themselves looking to other nations and seeing what those nations had and saying, we want one of those. or, Or we want to be more like them when their calling was God saying, hey, no, delight yourself in me and become more like me. And yet Israel looked to these other nations and said, we want a king like them. We want a temple like them. We want to have a kingdom like them. And God, God in his mercy, God in his kindness, God says, well, I will give you what you want. I didn't call you to be like them. I called you to be like me to show them a different way. But if that's what you want, then you can have it. Uh, a number of years ago, my family, on, on our summer vacations, we would go to this Christian music festival that was held at amusement an amusement park called Kingdom Bound, Found it, and they held it at a place called Six Flags, Darien Lake. So you could go and ride roller coasters, and there was all sorts of concerts happening. And I remember we would go when I was quite young. I think it was in about grade four or five when we started going. And I remember this one year, you'd walk around the amusement park to go to the different concerts or go to the different rides. And I remember one of the things that was always special about this is that we would have a certain amount of money. We could Go to bank of mom and dad, and they would buy us what we wanted, and maybe a souvenir, a, a T-shirt, like some merchandise from a band. This was before uh, before the internet uh, was was prevalent as it is. You couldn't go around buying things. So the only way, if you saw the Christian band that you wanted to see and you wanted to buy their T-shirt or a poster, you, the only way you could do that was by going to this festival or by going to maybe one of their concerts when they would occasionally come to Canada. And so for me, this was like something I was really excited about. But for whatever reason, this particular year, I was really excited about the movie Jurassic Park. (laughs) And I remember walking around the amusement park and in this particular store, they had these stuffed animals of the different dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And I saw this one and I was like, I want that. Dad, that's the souvenir I want. And I remember my dad go looking at me and just being like, are you sure that's what you want? You, know, you don't want that. That is just a cheaply made stuffed animal meant to be sold in an amusement park. You're not going to be happy with that. You're going to regret it the moment after you get it. Just, just, uh, just wait on that. Go, we'll find. We'll get you a t-shirt you like, something like that. There's something exciting that's going to be memorable and you're going to carry and, and, and it'll be valuable to you for, for more than just a couple minutes. But I remember over the course of the couple of days going around and just would continuously walk by that booth and be like, no, that's what I want. And I remember finally I went to my dad. I'm like, that's what I want. And my dad said, okay, you've thought about it. and if that's what you want, we'll buy that for you. And so he went and he got out the American money and he purchased it for me and he gave it to me. And I remember like, oh, this is cool. And then I remember the drive back home. You know, it's a long drive, a couple hours. Well, not that long, a couple hours. And I remember doing the drive and just staring at this thing And seeing my sister in the seat across from me just totally decked out in all of her Christian band swag. And I've got this cheap dinosaur and it's already a little bit ripped. Thinking, I've made a terrible mistake. And yet that is Israel's story. They look at all these other things and they go, that's what will make us happy. That's what we need. That's what a really successful people looks like. And God says, if that's what you want here, if that's who you want to become, if those are the people you want to go and find your, the, their, to live for their approval or, or to try and earn their, their uh, to get security by being seen with them or associating with them, then I'm going to hand you over to that. But realize that that has a dark side, a destructive side, a side that ultimately ends in you being separated from me and from the calling that I have placed on you. And in the Israel story, we see them led off into exile, captivity. And even when they return back to their original land, they're they're under Roman occupation. There is this pagan ruler who sits on the throne of the world. And so Simeon he sings his song into this world where it seems like everything is wrong, where sin has these terrible, brutal consequences. They need to be set free and liberated from the sins of their past. But the amazing thing for Simeon, as he, as he sings this song, as he realizes, as he, as he holds the infant Messiah in his arms, he realizes that God has not given up on them. That God has not abandoned them. And God has not forgotten his promises. Actually, if you just take a look at verse, uh, where are we? Let's see. If you just take a look at uh, verse 29, it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Essentially, there's this language of a, a sovereign Lord, uh, you keep your promises. You you haven't given up on us. They, actually, the word uh, sovereign is, is the way that the NIV translate, but the NASB, I think, actually gives us a much more helpful understanding for what's being said there. It's actually according to your word is almost a literal, transliteral translation of that. It's this idea of uh, not so much saying about a description of God having some sort of superpower. He's able to do whatever he wants, although that's totally true. But it's saying, no, God, you are going to act according to the things that you say you are going to do. And those promises that you've made to your servant Israel, you haven't given up on them, even though we have failed. And as he holds Jesus in his arms, he sees God answering those promises. And yet they live in this world where there is an enemy of God on the throne. And so God is going to act through Jesus in a way to save, to liberate, to set his people free. Earlier on this week, I was reflecting on this image of this elderly man carrying the baby around. I almost got this picture of you know the moment where uh, the the um, the new grandchild is brought to the house, and grandma or grandpa runs over and they grab the baby in their arms and like we'll give her or him back a little later, right? I mean that's what I was originally thinking. But but as I started to think through the context of this, I thought less and less about Grandpa snuggling up with his newborn grandson, and more and more of the image that we're seeing in our worried about this co- or in our world with this COVID vaccine. I mean, for, for Simeon and for the people of Israel, this was an issue of life and death. This was about an oppressive force that was just throwing their world completely out of whack, derailing everything. And this is God acting in a decisive way and setting them free. Simeon says, I have seen your salvation with my own eyes, and as he holds the infant Messiah in his arms, he looks at Jesus. Jesus is salvation. And yet, the story is a little more complex than that. There's a struggle that Israel faced, but there's a struggle that each and every one of us faced where we are constantly looking to anything other than God for approval, for security, for discerning how we should truly live in our lives. In the same way that there is an evil pagan ruler on the throne in the world that Israel faced, each one of us has someone else on the throne in our own hearts. A throne that is designed, is meant to be for God, and yet for so many of us, we have made it about ourselves, or we have made it about money, or we have made it about security or earning the approval and love of others. And so when we talk about being set free or forgiven for our sins, this is not just simply some ancient idea, this is something that is true and real for all of us. And as we look into the world and we see the brokenness and the way that sin corrupts and makes things terrible, it is so easy to externalize it and to make it something far apart from us. But the truth is, is that it is something true in all of our hearts. I remember coming across this billboard uh, a number of years ago and it has sat with me for a very long time. It was set up next to a freeway and here's simply what it says It says, you are not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. I think about this billboard as I'm driving home from work and I'm stuck in, front in traffic. I see the, the brake lights on the car in front of me and I'm muttering thoughts or, or muttering things or saying thoughts in my mind that I know I should not be saying about other people and essentially saying, ah, oh, if you had just left earlier or if this person, uh, if you would just take the bus, we would have been, I would be home by now. But, but the truth is, is that I am not stuck in traffic. I am part of traffic. I am part of the problem. And as we look at our world and the way in which sin has run amok and made things so far from what God originally intended, it is easy for us to stand back and point out everything that's wrong, but at the same time, when we are truly honest and when we look at Jesus and the life that he models for us, we discover that we too are in need of forgiveness, that we too are in need of his salvation. There's a term that comes up throughout the, the 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 various different proclamations of the good news of Jesus by the first Christians, and it is this term, judgment. And while it's not specifically referenced in here, it is all over. The passage, and it actually will come up in a verse that we're going to look at in just a few seconds. Now, judgment is a term that, for me, it often makes me really uncomfortable. It's a part I would love to, to be able to cut out of this part of the sermon, because, you know, we, we can talk about Jesus and his love and his forgiveness, and it's great and awesome, and it's so true, but we often don't want to talk about the judgment side of things. The truth is, is that God looks at us and he says, what you're doing is wrong. And I'm going to hand you over to that. If you want to follow that, if you want to live with yourself on the throne of your life or with, with uh, the, living for the approval of others or living for wealth or, or, or whatever it is, anything that is apart from God, God says, I'm going to hand you over to that. Go for it, pursue it. But realize that I am the only source of life. And as you pursue those things, you cannot pursue me. And ultimately it will end in death and separation from me. And yet, Jesus offers us forgiveness. Uh, actually, I should just say this too. Uh, going on to verse uh, 35, uh, this is Simeon. He is talking to Mary and Joseph. Actually, we'll start back it up to 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary and his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. And so just as Simeon looks at Jesus and sees salvation, he also sees with that another side, which is that the light causes a shadow. There, there is a realization about what the light exposes. Jesus here reveals to us God's love and desire for us, the kind of life he invites us into, and at the same time, it shows us that we can go another way. We can choose to live for ourselves. I, I, I think that one of the things that's really challenging as we talk about this term, judgment, is the issue that so often, uh, all well, two things. I think it makes us uncomfortable. I think the, the one side of it is, in a good way, is that we don't want to see the other people perish. We are uncomfortable with that idea. And so what we will do is, uh, because, and quite honestly, I think that's a godly thing uh, because God doesn't want to see others perish. And so that same heart should resonate within us and we should be concerned when we see other people going in destructive ways, when people are ignoring the truth about who God has created them to be when they are choosing to go oh, their own way rather than come and accept the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. But then I think there's another part I think there's another part which confronts us with a hard and difficult truth, which is sometimes we are uncomfortable with the idea of judgment because we're actually living for the other kingdom, not the kingdom that is, that is made available to us through Jesus, not the kingdom of cross and resurrection, not the kingdom of, of, of self-sacrifice and generosity and, and, and self-giving love but rather the kingdom of self-interest, the, the kingdom of violence, the kingdom of fear. And Jesus confronts us with that. And for many of us, I think we're so uncomfortable with judgment because we actually realize we're, we're really living more for that other kingdom that we've really invested more in that other kingdom. I, I think Simeon, if he was to be, to come and join with us today in our church and our world right now, specifically in the Western world, and he would look at us and he would see our discomfort with the idea of God being a God who judges, and I think he would say, well, which side are you on? Are you on the side that's been oppressed? Are you on the side who's, who's experiencing the, the difficulties and the hardships that come with a, with a kingdom or with people who have given their hearts over to a way that is so far away from the way of God, the way of Jesus. And yet Jesus offers us a different way to live not far off from God, not not, uh, slaves to our own desires and wants or longings, but rather to have his spirit live within us and change us and transform us and and to reshape our wants and desires to become like his wants and desires, to no longer be slaves to sin and no longer to be deserving of the judgment of God, but rather to experience the freedom and life that comes through Jesus. We call this the gospel. The gospel is the light by which we see everything else. So often when we talk about, uh, or actually I should say this, when I, when I was prepping and getting ready for this, there was a part I, where I was thinking, well, as I talk about the gospel, what can I do to kind of make it more interesting? <laughs> but, but then I realized that um, there's absolutely nothing I can ever do to give The gospel, do the gospel justice. Um, Because the gospel isn't a sales pitch, but it's a proclamation. The gospel isn't good advice. The gospel is good news. It is speaking about what God has done, is doing, and will do in this world through Jesus. And so I simply want to break it down in a very simple way. For us today. No bells and whistles, no emotionally driven stories, uh, no, uh, there's not, I don't know if there's going to be any tears, anything like that. This this is just purely the good news of Jesus that that the, the first Christians share as they were going around proclaiming what Jesus had done and who Jesus is. The gospel is this that Jesus has been declared Lord and Messiah through. The resurrection, that in him God has kept all of his promises to Israel. In him we have forgiveness from sin and the gift of eternal life. And that he is coming in judgment to fully establish his kingdom in this world. So repent and be baptized. My invitation to you is to simply ask the question, who is on the throne of your heart? Whose kingdom are you living in? Whose kingdom are you living for? And my invitation to you is, that, is to repent, to believe, and to be baptized. Now let me break down those three things for you. Number one, to repent. It means to turn away from your sin. It means to think differently. It means to instead about going things the direction you were going, instead to surrender your life to the way of Jesus. It means to acknowledge that the way you were going before only leads to death and separation from God. And to come to God and realize, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I need your spirit to lead me and guide me. Now, to believe, to have faith, that term is a little bit different. Uh, it's connected, but slightly different. Often when we think of the word believe, we live in a post-enlightenment society. It often means think ideas about. But, but if you were to go back to the ancient world, what it means to have faith in something or to believe in something or specifically into someone means to have allegiance to them. And, and so the invitation is to repent, to turn away from our sin and to be allegi- to show our allegiance to Jesus, to follow him, to put him on the throne of our hearts. And finally, to be baptized. Now, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you haven't. I want to encourage you to consider doing that if you haven't. Uh, but, but really at what the heart of this is saying is the idea of being baptized is this public declaration that my life now belongs to Jesus and I'm now giving myself over to his way in my life and I'm giving myself over to his family to allow them to speak into my life and help me to grow as a disciple of Jesus, so that I can embody his way, that we together can embody his way in the world. That's the response we are invited to. This morning, I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. Um, I want to lead us in a prayer. And specifically, I want to lead us in a prayer of salvation, And I realize that this is kind of a weird thing. Actually, if you go through and read through the Bible, that uh, there are very few instances where someone responds in faith to the gospel uh, and the way that they showed it is through a prayer. Uh, but I think that in our context, sometimes we need something concrete to ground us and to lead us and guide us. And so while this might seem a little bit old school to some in our congregation, I, I think that this is incredibly appropriate, especially in a time when we are separated and divided. If you're watching today and you have not committed your life in faith to Jesus, it, it, you have not repented, turned away from your sin, if you have not uh, given your life over and said, Jesus, I want you to be on the throne of my life, I want to invite you to to pray this prayer with me. You can do it out loud if you want. Uh, It's not anything fancy. Um, You can repeat after me, whatever it is you feel comfortable with. Or if you're watching this, who knows, three years down the road, you just stumbled across this on YouTube, uh, I want to invite you to say that the message is still true. And so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that you are a God who has entered into your creation, who is redeeming it. Lord, we confess our mess that we have made. That we have gone about things our own way and that we cannot make things better on our own. We need your forgiveness. Lord, would you we thank you for Jesus who through his cross and resurrection has set us free from our sin and who has shown us a new way to live and made us a part of a new family that we may live as a taste of your kingdom here and now in this world. Would you guide us in faith? Would you give us courage? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. If that is a prayer that you prayed today, I would love for you to email me. I'm just putting my email address up there. This is just the starting place. If this is your first time responding to the good news of Jesus, please send me an email. I would love to have further conversations with you. Or maybe for you, you're just thinking about baptism. And right now, we haven't been able to do any baptisms, but we are realizing as we are setting up our new year, we have no idea how long we're going to be apart. We don't know when this vaccine is going to roll out. But but this is something that we need to look at and explore. So please, if that is something you are passionate about, excited about, if God is stirring in your heart in that way, please know that you can respond, and, and we would love to see that happen. Let me conclude with this final thought. I want to go back to the first line from the song. It says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I love how this is how Simeon feels he can just end his life. He's just like, no, I've seen the only thing that really matters any other accomplishments I might make in my life, anything else that he could ever have done or will ever, could ever do, whatever his bucket list, whatever things he has not scratched off yet, he he looks at them, he's like, they are irrelevant. They are unimportant compared to experiencing God's salvation. And because of that, he can die in peace. My hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you would know that there is nothing more important than experiencing God's salvation in your life.